So let's go to Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. I'll read for us verses 5 through 10. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend has, of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. To the one who seeks, he finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the word of the Lord for us. Now, some of you are uh, thinking right now, uh, is it too late to slip out? Uh, we must be in trouble uh, if the guy that usually serves me my coffee is up here preaching. So uh, I assure you, uh, it is too late to slip out, so you're buckle up. Um, but I am excited to be uh, here with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Mark. Uh, I serve as one of our elders here uh, at the church. Uh, in the summer, we have been working our way through uh, a series on, the, on Luke's gospel account. And so uh, this morning we find ourselves at Luke chapter 11. Uh, and so if you don't have your Bibles out already, I invite you to do so. Um, we're going to kind of uh, just uh, plow our way through the first 13 verses of Luke 11 this morning. Uh, it might be more of kind of a Bible study format than an actual uh, sermon, but hopefully we can hear what the Lord has for us. Um, John had asked me actually way back, I don't, it was probably November or December, uh, if I'd be willing to uh, preach this week. And I said, well, I can do that. And so he gave me the, the kind of the sermon schedule for the year, and I looked and saw we were going through Luke. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's great. And then I saw this week that we were covering uh, Luke 11. I'm like, all right. So I open up, I start reading it. I'm like, uh-oh, this is on prayer. Uh, the, the topic is prayer here. And, and the reason I say that is, and I don't know if you guys or any of you have experienced this, but with my, in my walk with Jesus, prayer has always been a bit difficult. And it's not for lack of effort. Uh, you know, we try to incorporate prayer into the regular routine of our family life. I spend time in prayer regularly uh, with God. But I always wonder, am I doing this right? Am I missing something? Prayer is such a central part to who we are as followers of Christ. I often wonder... Am I doing it correctly? Or there's times I sit down, there's so much need around me. Like, how can I make a difference here, Lord? Other times, I'm like, I don't even know what to pray for. I just sit there in silence. And so fortunately, when we get to passages like Luke 11, I think Jesus paints for us a much deeper and vibrant and richer vision for prayer than maybe what many of us hold. And so we're just going to pick up here and uh, see what... Uh, what Jesus is telling us about prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so if I, if I imagine this scene, I see, I see the disciples sitting around, maybe it was the 12, maybe it was a, a larger group of, of Jesus' followers, we're not sure, but I see him having this conversation. Where's Jesus at? Where'd he go? And if we read through, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is a common theme where Jesus is sneaking away by himself to spend time with, with God in prayer. And so the disciples are probably talking to themselves, like, I wonder what he's praying about. 
Hey, John, Peter, one of you guys, why don't you go ask him? Tell him to teach us to pray like he's praying. And I don't think we can get confused here. The disciples, they knew how to pray. They grew up in a, in a culture where prayer was central to everything they did. They had spent time from, from the earliest of ages uh, attending Hebrew school, memorizing massive amounts of scripture, praying through the Psalms, reciting the Shema regularly throughout the day. They knew how to pray. They were not amateurs when it came to prayer. But they noticed something different about how Jesus prayed. See, when they prayed, they, they, they typically prayed in Hebrew. Usually they were recited prayers. They did them in community. And that's good. I, I've learned a lot over, over the years from, from different liturgical backgrounds where we're praying together corporately, uh, prayers of the church fathers. And that's great. But they noticed something different about Jesus. He was praying more in, in it was almost like a conversation he was having with God. Typically, he would pray in Aramaic, which was kind of the everyday language during this time. And when he prayed, things seemed to happen. And so the disciples, and you have to applaud them here, they wanted to learn to pray like Jesus prayed. And so they came to him, asked him to teach them to pray. And I think Jesus, what he was trying to show them, and I think he continues to want to show us today, is prayer is much more than just a few minutes here and a few minutes there throughout the day. How many of us sit down in the morning and we're like, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And so we lift our needs up, we, 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 we give God adoration, we give him thanksgiving, and then we move on with our day. And I don't think that's what Jesus is showing him there. He's showing us prayers to be continuous, ongoing. Everything we do should be in prayer. I think he's showing them that prayer is not just communication to God, but communion with God. It includes communication to God. We're, we're called to bring our needs and our desires to him. But it's more about communion, community with God. And so I think uh, that's what Jesus wanted to show his disciples. Uh, Mother Teresa sat down with Dan Rather for an interview uh, back in the 1980s. And Dan Rather asked Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, how, what do you say when you pray to God? And Mother Teresa looked at him and she said, well, I don't say anything, I just listen. And Dan's kind of like, okay, well, Mother Teresa, when you pray to God, what's God say to you? She looks at him and she says, well, he doesn't say anything, he listens. And Dan's just kind of, he doesn't know how to proceed at this point. And she continues and she says, well, I'm sorry, if you don't understand that, there's nothing I can do to explain it to you. You see, I think she understood prayer is about community with God. It's about relationship. It's just about pursuing God in all that we do. Henry Nouwen says, Prayer does not mean much when we undertake it only as an attempt to influence God or as a search for spiritual fallout shelter or as an offering of comfort in stress-filled times. Prayer is the act by which we divest ourselves of all false belongings and become free to belong to God and God alone. And I think this is what Paul's getting at in 1 Thessalonians when he says, pray without ceasing. You see, we hear that and we're like, well, that's great. I want to pray, but at a certain point, I need to go to work. I need to take the kids to practice. I need to make dinner. And I think Paul would look at us and say, exactly. Everything we do throughout the day should be in a state of prayer. And we may not be falling down on our knees with our, our hands bowed every moment of the day, obviously. But everything we should, are doing should be in community with the Father. 
So moving on, uh, the disciples approach Jesus, and I can only imagine Jesus is pumped. He's like, finally, guys, you're getting it. And so he teaches them to pray. So verse 2 through 3, or 2 through 4, just gives them a, a short prayer. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, for those of us who have grown up in or around the church for any amount of time, we quickly recognize this as the Lord's Prayer. And some of us may even recite this regularly throughout the day, which I encourage. That's a good thing to do. But I think Jesus here is showing the disciples, he's providing a framework with how to have community with the Father. And we don't have time. I, I was this close to just talking the entire morning about these three verses, just unpacking it. We could probably do a whole series just on the Lord's Prayer. But we don't have time for that this morning. But just quickly, uh, I, I think when, when we view this prayer as uh, having community with God, every aspect of our life can fit somewhere in this prayer. We start by recognizing who God is. He's Father. We can come to Him as daughters and sons to a caring parent, someone who wants the best for us, who wants to, to see us flourish. At the same time, there's a bit of a juxtaposition here because we're still, we're still viewing him as we're hallowing his name. We view him as holy. He's set apart. This is the creator God. So we wrestle with that as we come to him in prayer. This is our father who cares and loves for us. Yet we must remember he's a holy God set apart. Your kingdom come. As I grew up, I, I remember reciting the Lord's prayer and, uh, for some reason, I'm not sure why, I always thought this line meant, all right, Jesus, come back so you can take me to heaven. But that's not what it says, is it? It doesn't say your kingdom go. It says your kingdom come. And I think we miss out on the point here. The kingdom of heaven is accessible to us here and now. When we exalt Christ on his throne, we are submitting to his reign. And so we're called as his church to carry out kingdom principles here and now. This is not something, we're not just biding our time here, waiting for his return. We realize his, his kingdom will not be fully fulfilled until he returns, but we're called to bring kingdom dynamics here and now. So when we pray this, we're praying for the Holy Spirit to equip us to live out kingdom dynamics. Because if, we if we're not regularly going to God to, uh, to carry out kingdom dynamics, it's so easy to fall into the patterns of this this current age of sin and death, of power grabs, of fear, of scarcity. That's not what we're called to. But we need to rely every day, daily, on God's provision to, to keep our, our, our focus. Are we praying regularly for our daily bread? Could actually be material needs, could be physical needs, emotional needs. Are we coming to God, though, regularly to provide for us? Or are we trying to do it ourselves? Are we doing the hard work of self-examination to find areas of sin in our lives and repenting of those? Even harder, sometimes are we forgiving those who have wronged us? Are we saying, hey, acknowledging that, hey, I've been hurt, but I choose to pursue love. I give up my right to retaliation. I forgive you. And finally, are, are we asking God to lead us? Because we know, God, if, if you don't lead us, I'm going to lead myself. And if I lead myself, I'm leading myself right back into temptation. So, Father, I need you to lead me. So Jesus provides this framework 
for his disciples. And then he launches into this parable, and, and John shared it, uh, read it for us a few moments ago. And to our modern ears, this is a strange story, right? Like, I don't know how many of you thought about this, but like, what's going on here? What's Jesus trying to show his disciples through this story? What's he trying to show us? So I think, and this, I fall into this trap all the time. I see these parables, I read these parables from Jesus. Some of them are kind of strange. And I, I automatically try to insert myself into the story and see, what's this saying about me? And so when I do that, this is, what I, this is the story I hear. I, I hear Jesus telling me, hey, imagine a visitor comes in the middle of the night and, and, and knocks on your door and they want a place to stay. And you quickly realize, hey, I haven't been to the grocery store in three weeks. I don't have anything to give them. And so what do you do? You run across the street to your neighbor's house, bang on the door. They're a little irritable. They just put the kids down to bed, and you know, after three hours of trying to get them to go to sleep, if you wake those kids up, there's going to be problems, right? Those of you with young kids, you know what I'm talking about. And you ask, hey, I need something. I need some food. And your neighbor's like, go back, go back to bed. It's the middle of the night. No, I need some food. I got some visitors here. And you keep at it and at it and at it, and finally they're like, fine, here, take it. Go back, go back home. And so we think, and we put ourselves in this story, and we're like, what's this mean for prayer? Well, it must mean, if I just continually nag God enough, he's going to give me what I want. That's, my, that's obviously what it means. The problem with that, though, is the rest of Scripture, because that's not the character of God I, I get. See, God is not a reluctant provider who's dangling things in front of us, like a carrot on a stick. Hey, if you pray a certain way, or if you ask me just right, I'll give you what you need. That's not the picture of God we get throughout Scripture. It also makes it about us. If I just do this right and this right and say the right words, then God will give, us, give me what I want. I think to really understand a story, we have to take a step back and view this, this, this parable through the eyes of a Jewish person 2,000 years ago. And to do that, we have to understand uh, a couple of dynamics going on here. One, community was of utmost importance during this time. We live very isolated lives. Most of us will go home this afternoon, spend time with our families. We'll start a new week. We'll go to work, take the kids to practice, rinse and repeat, right? And we do it in isolation. We might be friendly with our neighbors, maybe even invite them over for a, a cookout on the weekend. But we're living kind of isolated lives. That was not the case during this time. In these communities, everybody's business was everybody else's business. It was closely tied together. So you knew what your neighbor was up to. You knew what was going on. And, and it was almost like an extended family, these, these small communities. The, the other dynamic that we have to think about is hospitality. In this culture, if you had to... uncommon to all of a sudden pop in on somebody and say, hey, can I, can I crash here tonight? We've been traveling all evening. I need, I need a place to stay. Obviously, you couldn't text them and say, hey, we're coming. So you just show up. So when we see this story through that frame, I think it tells us more about God and his character than about us. See, when, when this person goes to his neighbor, at first his neighbor is kind of taken aback and he, he thinks he's just asking for himself. He's like, well, just go back to bed. Well, I'll talk to me in the morning. 
But when he realizes there's visitors and, and his friend is, is responsible for carrying them, all of a sudden the tune changes. Yeah, I've got all kinds of stuff. Let me get you, what else do you need? I got bread, whatever. Here you go. Let me know what else I can do for you. You see, because the neighbor knows he doesn't want his friend to be shamed. But he does also doesn't want the entire community to be shamed. If, if they do not provide for this, this, this traveler, the entire community is being drugged through the mud here. Oh, that was that town that couldn't provide for the travelers. And so when we see God through these lens, I think what, what Jesus wants us to see is he's trying to show us something about God's character. God wants to provide for us. He wants to give us what we need for our own good and for our community's good and for his namesake. He doesn't want his name being drugged through the mud, so he's going to provide for us. And so when we pray to God, we can simply ask God to be God. God, live up to your character. Be who you are. I think that's what Jesus is trying to show us here. And God wants to provide. So Jesus goes on then in verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be open. So we see three action words here, three verbs, right? Ask, seek, knock. Prayer generally originates from, from, a, from a need or a desire. We are asking the Father to provide for us. And, and by asking, we are also seeking Him to, to intervene, to step in, to take action. And finally, knock. This would have had to do with table fellowship. People would have recognized this as an invitation to come in and eat together, which was very important during this time because who you ate with is who you identified with, who you were in community with. That's why Jesus took so much heat for eating with sinners and tax collectors. He was identifying with these people. It wasn't just sharing a meal. He was, he was having fellowship with them. And so I think that's we're called into that. When Jesus says, when we knock, the door will be open. God wants to have relationship with us. He wants to be in community. So I ask you, I guess this morning, if we believe the Bible to be trustworthy and true for our lives, why, church, why do we have a hard time asking and seeking and knocking? Why is it such a struggle for some of us? And as I thought about it this week, I think we can kind of want, and it's not just two, two, two categories here, but there's two categories I think we might find ourselves in. The first of which is some of us are cerebral thinkers. We think through everything. We have to understand the why, right? And so we look at God, and, and God said, and he promises us that he's working out his goodwill, and that he's sovereign. And so we may be tempted to think, well, if God can handle this, if he's going to do the right thing anyhow, why do I have to pray? What difference does that make? Is my day really going to be that different if I pray or if I don't pray or if I come to the Father or if I don't come to the Father? I don't know if it will be. Here's the thing. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us for anything. He's perfectly capable of doing what he wants to do without our help. That's not the point. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to involve us in what's happening. We, we don't have to look far into the Bible. If you look to the first few pages in the, in the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2, what does God do? He makes this, this, this wonderful creation, and he's, he's come to dwell in this creation, but he wants to dwell with someone, so he makes his image bears humans. 
And he, wanted, he wants to work with them and through them. And so he says, hey guys, look. See this garden here? Take these, take these boundaries, expand them throughout all of creation. Have a ball, build stuff. Be fruitful, be multiply. He wants to work with humans and through humans. Of course, we know how that story goes, though. Genesis 3 rolls around, and we decide, no, God, I think we want to do this on our own. We don't want to be in community. We're going to run the show here. And here's the thing. Despite that, God is still working to redeem his creation. And he's still determined to work through us as his image bearers. He's not leaving us behind. He still wants to work through us. And so when we come to him in prayer, he is involving us. He's including us. This is a, maybe a totally inappropriate analogy, this, but I thought about this this week as I was thinking about this point. Uh, some of you who are football fans will, will remember a few years ago the COVID year, right? And uh, so everything's shut down. There's all these restrictions in place. But the NFL decides, hey, we're going to play our season anyhow. And that's great. The problem is there's still a lot of cities and states who have these, these restrictions. They're not allowing gatherings. And so what you had was you had football stadiums that were built to house 50, 60, 70,000 people completely empty, yet the game went on. Sorry about the score up there. The players played, the coaches coached, the front office, they did the trades, the season went on. And we could sit at home and watch it on our screens, right? We saw the season continuing to go on, but we were missing something. There was no crowd there. When the home team scored a touchdown, there was no jumping into the stands, throwing around high fives, celebrating. We were missing something. The season went on, but we were missing that community. I think kind of in a similar way, I know it's not a perfect analogy, but God, he can carry out his will. He's going to do what he needs to do. But he wants us there involved with him. He wants that sense of community. And that's what he's inviting us to through prayer. There's a second group of us. So some of us are thinking like, well, what difference does it make if I pray or not? Well, some of us, and this is the difficult part. And I know some of your stories. I know some of you may be thinking this right now. You're like, Mark... I'm all for community. That sounds great. But it takes two to tango. And I've been asking, and I've been seeking, and I've been knocking, but God's not responding. What do I do then? And I don't have any easy answers this morning, guys. And I can't pretend to know what you're going through and the heartache you've experienced. But I know that God is good. So if we, we go on and we look at these verbs, ask, seek, knock, uh, there's, a, there's a verb tense used in the Greek we don't really have in the English. It's an ongoing verb tense. And so I think the New Living Translation kind of gets at the heart of, of it. And it, it reads this way. In verse 9 it says, So I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. You see, it's ongoing. It's a process. It's not a one-time fix. We're called into relationship with the Father. This is ongoing, and it gets dirty sometimes, and it's hard. But we're called to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. 
Some of us look at this, and we've experienced such heartache, we're just ready to walk away. Like, I'm done. I don't hear God. I'm walking away. For many of us, though, we don't want to walk away because we're intrigued by this person of Jesus, and we see God act at times, and so we continue to pursue, but we build barriers. We, we want to protect ourselves from disappointment. And so we read passages like this, and it says, you know, Jesus says, ask, and you will receive. And, and you might think in your head, well, is he being hyperbolic here? This metaphor? Certainly not everything I pray for, I'm going to receive. I can't, that's selfish of me to expect the Father to do that for me. So we build these barriers, and we, and we kind of lessen our expectations. And gradually we, 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 we find that there's more and more distance between us and the Father. But that's not, what, that's not what we're told. We're saying keep knocking, keep seeking. And it gets ugly sometimes. Sometimes I think when we pray, we've got to be polite and come to God and, and, and be real nice and honorable. And, and that's good. Sometimes though we need to get raw. God, where are you? We see this in the Psalms. Psalm 13, David. Just listen to him crying out to God. How long, Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But look at this in verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the, praise, the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. See, David made a conscious decision. He wasn't hearing from God. But he continued to trust. He believed in the character of God and that God would provide for him. And sometimes it just gets ugly. We're yelling, where are you, God? So Jesus continues. And before that, I, I should say, author and pastor Tyler Staten, he put it this way in his book, uh, Praying like monks, living like bulls. He said, wrestling with God through persistent prayer is a confirmation of true belief, not distressing doubt. Those who only half-heartedly believe don't take offense at silence. It is only those of us who believe and believe hard, hard enough to walk out on a limb of faith with our full weight, who feel that limb snap beneath us and send us into a free fall without a harness, who care to wrestle with God, who at times seems fickle. It is only those who are offended by silence. It's hard work. We can't hear God sometimes, but we have to trust in his character. Jesus tells us he will provide, he will give us what we are asking for. We may not see it. We may not even see it this side of eternity, but he is working for our good. So Jesus ends this passage by saying, verse 11, Which of you fathers, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Another bad analogy here, but I'm reminded of uh, many times we'll go over to uh, dinner at Heidi's parents' house. And uh, we get there, and Ruthann has the candy drawer, and all the grandkids know where the candy drawer is at. So I remember my kids, especially when they were younger, 
Uh, you know, we'd get there and they'd say, hey, Dad, can I have a piece of candy? Yeah, sure, what do we got? Oh, we got the little Reese cups. Yes, have one. Bring me one too, or five. <laughs> Peanut butter and chocolate, what's better? Enjoy it. The problem was, though, we get close to dinner and they ask again, Dad, can I have a piece of candy? Hey, guys, we got to wait till after dinner. We're about ready to eat. But, Dad, we just enjoyed that. It was so good. All you have to do is tell me I can have it. It's right there. Why are you holding out on me? Well, guys, I want you to eat something good. I want you to grow, grow and develop. They can't see that in the heat of the moment, though. And again, I don't want to trivialize this, but so many of you have experienced this firsthand in your lives. Father, my loved one's wasting away in a hospital bed. Where are you? All you have to do, you can do all things. Why aren't you healing them? And silence. What is he up to? Where is he at? But we're called to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. So as we close this morning, uh, I'm reminded of uh, a couple of references in, in Scripture that, that bring this point home. The first is in uh, Acts chapter 12. Of course, Luke, Luke wrote Acts. This was the account of the early church. And it's the story of Peter. And Peter's been in prison. He, he's in line to be executed. And there's this group of, of Jesus followers that are just praying radically through the night for, for Peter. And once you know an angel, that he shows up, he leads Peter right out of that, that, that prison. Peter doesn't even know what's going on. He thinks he's dreaming. What's going on here? He doesn't know where he's at. And, and the angel brings him to this house where these people are praying for him. They don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, it, it dawns on them what's happened. The Father's answered our prayers. Here's the thing, though. I think sometimes we miss the context. If you read the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 12, it says, It was about this time King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is James, one of the sons of thunder. He was in the inner circle of inner circles with Jesus. And I can only imagine if these people were praying just as hard for Peter, they were praying just as hard for, for James. And what a gut punch it must have been to hear that James had been executing. Father, where are you? What are you doing? And we don't know. I don't know. I don't know how the Father was working, but he's working. He's good. And the people, the people in this house, they kept asking. They kept knocking. They kept seeking. Despite the disappointment, despite the heartache, they kept after it. They are pursuing God. Final illustration is, is Jesus himself. The one who's experienced closer to community, community with the Father than any of us could ever imagine. Who taught the disciples to pray. The night before he dies, he falls on his face, according to Mark's account, crying out, Father, you can do all things. Take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to die like this. He's hanging on the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? And his followers are looking, what is going on? Where is God? And we have hindsight to look back at this now. And we see God at work. At the, in the moment, though, it was nothing but heartache. We see now through death on the cross and then through the empty tomb that life came about. Life was extended to all of us. But we can't see that in the heat of the moment. 
but we're called to continue to ask, to seek, and to knock. So as we close this morning, I don't know where each of you is at. Some of you have been asking and and seeking and knocking. Some of you just hear silence. Some of you see God working. But keep at it. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. We know we can can trust God's character and who he is. We can trust the the words of Jesus when he says, ask and you will receive. Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Amen.